At the writing of this letter, John was a very old man, aware that his days on earth were about done. And you know, it's interesting how your perspective changes the older you get. Things change in what's important to you. Things that used to be really important aren't so much. And the things that before you would maybe forget, now you are really defending and wanting to make sure that they're not forgotten. I know as I was younger, um, there were a lot of things that would come up with our extended family, and I would just say, I'm sorry, I can't make it. I, I just can't. And the older I get, the more I have come to realize how important those relationships are and that usually whatever was so pressing at work could probably make it until the next day. The Apostle John, as he is writing, has really finished most of his life. He has a very wonderful heritage behind him. He now lives in a city called Ephesus, which we've been studying about. And though he was born in Palestine, his days there on the Sea of Galilee were gone. He wasn't going to be there anymore. Maybe I'm just hitting that stage in my life where I'm realizing there are some things I might not do. I don't know if any of you have also hit those days. It's, it's a little, it's a different kind of thinking. Up to this stage in my life, it's always been, oh yeah, I can do that. I'll do this. I'm not doing it now, but I'll get to that. And you begin to realize this is probably my last time to ever be here. I won't be back. John is, is looking at his life and he is saying what is so important. Not only had he left Jerusalem and that area because of all the danger that was there, but as he left, do you remember when Jesus was on the cross and he looked to John and he entrusted the care of his mother to John? It is not it would not be impossible at this point for Mary to still be alive. So in reality, if Mary was still alive, Mary was also in Ephesus. John had been born in Bethsaida to well-to-do parents. His dad was a fisherman. His mother, Salome, was sister to Jesus' mother. So that would make John and Jesus cousins. John's brother was the first martyr. His name was James. Of all the apostles, John seems to have been the closest, not only because he was the Lord's cousin, but he was one of the first apostles, one of the first disciples that Jesus called. He and his brother James were fishing partners. Peter was also his fishing partner. And they seemed to be in a very small circle, the closest circle to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's mentioned three times in the book of Acts. 
And then he disappears for 40 years. You don't hear much about the Apostle John until we think about the book of Revelation and we realize that was right at the end of his life as well. So after the Jerusalem conference, maybe that name rings a bell. It was in Acts chapter 15 or Galatians chapter 2. You read about that. <coughs> Excuse me. After that conference, we don't hear about John. And it's not until living through this turbulent first century. And think about this first century. You know, sometimes we think, um, well, we have it hard. It's difficult for us. In that first century, of the, of the first 12 Caesars, only two died a natural death. Can you imagine living in a time when there is constantly political assassinations going on? It's supposed that even the great Augustus was poisoned. So I just want you to think about, sometimes we kind of put it into a two-dimensional picture and we really can't think about what was it like for these people living then. And what I want you to recognize is this was a very difficult time for them. It was high persecution. That's the reason, one of the reasons why John was in Ephesus, because to stay in Jerusalem was going to be death. By nature, John was fiery. You remember how... Jesus called James and John the sons of thunder. Um, that was because they had hot tempers. That kind of puts things a little more into reality, doesn't it? You've got Peter who was impulsive, and you've got James and John who had hot tempers. And yet at this stage in his life, we see a different John. John has mellowed in his years. John, the things that, you know, if people weren't doing exactly what he thought they should do to serve Jesus, what was, what was John's response? Burn them all. Just torch them. Send down lightning. Now we come to an older John who is a little more gentle. I don't know about you. In my life as a believer, the Lord in these last 40-some years has just mellowed me. I'm still passionate about what I believe, but maybe not as aggressive against people as I would have been as a young person. John, as he's writing, is very concerned. There was a group called the Gnostics, they didn't believe that Jesus had actually come in the flesh. And they had mysticism, this, things that weren't factual. And John, in his older years, begins writing. And unlike Paul, who usually says, Paul the apostle to so-and-so, notice what he does. Look at verse 1 with me, please. He says, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifest unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, 
And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. I want you to notice as John is speaking here, there's an invitation today to become part of the family. An invitation to be part of the family. If you come from a family with a close relationship or you know your siblings, some of you were just had a reunion with, with family. Sometimes it's hard to imagine what it's like to be without family. But John says, we want you, we want you to know how you can be part of this. And he begins, here's how you join the family. But before he tells you how to join the family, he says, and before he tells us what family life is going to be like. You know, what's it like to be in your family? What's it like to be in my family? What's it like to be a part of God's family? He begins, first of all, though, by giving you some evidence that this is all true. And that's what we begin with in verse 1, if you'd notice with me. He begins by saying, that which was from the beginning. Now, you notice he makes a statement and doesn't even try to prove the existence of God. He doesn't try to prove the eternality of Jesus Christ. He just says, that which was from the beginning. He didn't begin. He he didn't begin at some point. He's saying that one which was always there, who was always from the beginning. Now, if you were to read his book, John, which he had written much earlier, you would read what? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. When God was there, Jesus was already there. Word is communication. He was saying the unique attribute that I'm focusing on is this is the way God is communicating to us so that you can know Him. People look up and they look around and if we're honest, we would say this couldn't just happen. The chances of all of this happening, the chances of, of us functioning properly, the chances of a baby always being the same and coming out healthy, the chances are so impossible that anybody that's honest would say, you know, I don't know who the painter was, I don't know who the creator was, but I do know this, there was a creator. And John is saying, that which was from the beginning, all right, he's now given him a title, he's now given a description, I'm talking about someone who always has been. And then he makes this statement which, which opens our eyes. He says, which we have heard. You have heard the one from the beginning, which we have seen. And then it sounds like he repeats himself, which we have looked upon. But it's not. One is talking about to be able to see. The other is 
to be able to inspect, to focus on. He's saying not only did we hear him, not only did we see him, but we have inspected him. We have been around him and our hands have handled. And that brings us to a whole new thought as we think about the upper room and we think about the fact handled means to actually touch, to feel. You remember when they were so concerned about did Jesus really rise from the dead? Did Jesus really come back? And remember when Jesus came into the room and Thomas said, oh, how can I know? And Jesus comes in and he says, Thomas, touch me. Feel me. They watched him eat. This was not a phantom. You see, he's building forth something because he wants you to have confidence in the truth. You know, do I really want to be a part of this family? Is this just all a gimmick? Is this just all something that's made up and the reality is he says, oh no, it's not. We have heard him. The one that was from the beginning, the eternal one who came and became flesh. He says, we've heard him. We've seen him. We've looked upon him. We've inspected him. Our hands have handled him. He was here and in fact, he arose. All of those things we have seen. You know, the incarnation, becoming flesh, incarnate, you know, carnate is flesh and becoming flesh is somewhat hard for us to understand. I read a wonderful illustration which really was God's illustration and this commentator just was helping me understand the history. If you were to walk into the tabernacle, do you remember the tent where there was the tabernacle, you'd walk through just the only door that was there which is an interesting way to describe for us salvation. And you would come in, and what was the first thing you would see? You would see the altar that was there, and there was a sacrifice that had to be put there because there was no way to come before God without there being a sacrifice for sins and the shedding of blood. And then as you would get closer, there was going to be a second tent, and as you were going to walk into that tent, before you got there, there was a laver. There was a bowl where you would wash because again, when you come before the Lord, you need to be holy as you would come. And then as you would, having gone through the sacrifice and having been washed, when you would come into the holy place, do you remember right there in the holy place, uh, and I can't remember left or right, you would see the table of showbread, you would see the lamp, uh, the lamp stand, and then there was an altar of incense, a place of prayer. And then there was a curtain, and in that curtain was woven blue and red and purple threads. And that was this curtain, and that would keep you from getting into the Holy of Holies, which was to come before God's presence. Do you remember when Jesus Christ died on the cross, one of the things that took place was that veil was torn from top to bottom. Now, Greek Gentile people were concrete in our thinking. Jewish people are picture. And when you think of the tabernacle, think pictures the whole way through. And I just kind of mentioned to you one way in. There's only one way. You had to have the sacrifice. You had to be cleansed. In that place was this place of bread where Jesus says, 
I am the light of the world. I'm the bread of life. This whole picture was of Jesus Christ. And you come to that curtain that was torn. The word Adam means red. Had the idea of earth or rosy or fleshly. Jesus was the second, the last Adam. Jesus is also God. One. And we often, when we try to either make much of his deity or make much of his humanity, we, we somehow slight the other one. And what I want you to see in this illustration is this curtain, which was a curtain, was both red and blue. Red, the humanity of the one who was there for us. Blue, speaking of his incarnation of the deity of God, reminds us of all that is there in heaven. And then purple is the perfect blending. If you take blue and you take red and you put them together in the exact perfect amounts, you get purple, and that was the other thing that was there. And it was a picture for us. And here John is wanting us, and he doesn't really quote from the Old Testament. I don't know that he quotes at all in the book of 1 John. Focusing on Gentile people. But that picture helps us just remember what John was trying to say, and that is, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard personally, which we have personally seen, which we have personally looked upon and inspected and we have personally handled of the word of life. The word of life. The source of life. The possibility of life. All these things. You've got the humanity of Jesus Christ. You remember how the scriptures tell us how human he was? How he went to the well and sat and he said, I'm thirsty. Or after a full day's work, he gets in the back of the boat and he falls asleep in the middle of a storm. I don't know if you've ever been so tired, you get in a vehicle and you just fall asleep instantly and the person's driving. But if they hit the rumble strip or whatever, for me, I'm instantly awake. I'm awake. What's going on? My wife will go, calm down. I just hit the rumble strip. Go back to sleep. You know, so I'm laying there with one eye open, wondering what's going on. Jesus was so tired, he slept through the storm. Human. Human. And yet, he gets up when they're concerned, and he says, peace be still. Whoa. Instantly going from humanity to deity, isn't he? That's an instant thing that he does. He says, all these things that we have seen which we have heard and our hands have handled, and then notice verse 2. For that life was manifested. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Yet John says, the life was manifested, was shown, was demonstrated to us, and we have seen it and bear witness unto you and show unto you that eternal 
life. You notice he's not talking about the eternal life that we get. He's talking about the person, that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That's all in parentheses. He's just making sure that we understand that it has been described for us. And then he makes this statement, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship. You know, the wonderful thing in this is that he's telling us it's not exclusive. It's not just for those of us who walked on the earth at this time. This is available for all of you. It's available for you. And in fact, I'm telling you this because I want you to know, you're going to hear lots of things. You're going to hear things that are against God. You're going to hear things that are going to try to disprove Jesus Christ. You're going to hear things that they're going to say, he really wasn't the son of God. He didn't really exist. He was a phantom. He re Jesus was really someone that God came on and then God left him. He was a human and was only God-like when he was indwelt for that amount of time. You're going to hear all these different things and it's going to challenge your faith and you're going to say, oh, I don't know, can I really believe this? Is this really credible? Should I place my faith in this one or not? And as an old man, John says, I want you to know something. I've lived my whole life. I have heard this I've seen this, I've inspected this, I handled this, and not me only, many others. This was God. This was God. And more than just the news that this is God, I want you to know something else. You can be part of this family. You can be a part of this. What would this family be like? It's a family where you can enjoy fellowship with this family. Through Jesus Christ, you can have fellowship with God. You can have fellowship with Jesus Christ. Imagine how that opens things up for you. So simple, a child. You don't have to understand everything. You just have to believe that Jesus Christ is who he was. And he came to provide a way into the Father. That veil was torn. We now have open access. What a joy. You can be part of that family. John says, I write these things unto you that what is ours can be yours. As we memorize this chapter together, it's going to talk about what our family's like. Because depending on the family you've come from, in fact, all of us have come from families that have issues or we have families that are complicated 
And we take what we have seen and observed in our own families and we say, well, that's obviously what Christianity is like. And John says, oh, let me tell you what family is like. But he says, first of all, to be in the family, it begins with understanding who Jesus Christ is. Knowing him. He says, I want you to be confident. There are many, many eyewitnesses. We saw him, we heard him, we saw him, we observed him, we handled him. He was the word of life. And God manifested this word of life to us so that we could have eternal life, which is in him. It's a simple thing, but it was an expensive thing. Let me just remind you, the reason why this is so important is because all of us have violated God's laws. And what that really means is, is that we chose to not accept what God said and to do what we wanted. That's called sin. It is violating the line. It's violating God's laws. But you're not the only one in that situation. All of us have violated God's laws, which separated us from God, which causes us to question and doubt everything around us rather than looking outside and seeing an incredibly gracious, kind God who knows exactly what we need. We look at that and go, I don't know how that got here. Boy, we're lucky today to have a good day. Boy, we've, this has been rough days recently. It's hard with all the rain, and then it's hard without the rain, and then it's hard with too much sun, and it's hard without the sun because we don't recognize a good God is giving us exactly what we need. And just like as children, we would often go, well, I just want the candy, I don't want the good food. But then your stomach hurts and you don't feel good, and your mom says, no, you need to eat the good stuff. And you said, I thought the candy was the good stuff. No, the candy's good too, but really, this is the stuff that's going to help you grow. God's providing every day everything that we need. He's a good God. And today, you may not have all the pieces put together, but he says, I do want you to know this. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Jesus Christ is the one to God. He's the one through whom you can get to God. And he says, and you can have fellowship with us and with God and with Jesus Christ.